Welcome to Wheel to Wheel F1. I'm Noah Hicks, joined by Tanner Hicks and Lance Ellington. Today, we're going to be talking about the back half of the midfield teams, those being Alpine, Alpha Tauri, and Aston Martin. A lot of A's there. We're going to be doing, just like last week, some NFL player comps. We're going to be doing the team background and going in-depth into their drivers. And without further ado, Tanner, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, there's a lot to get in here. We'll, we'll get to them later, but we got Alpine, my favorite team. So yeah, it's going to be a fun podcast, but we're going to, we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to go from uh, last to first in this group of teams. So we're going to start with seventh place last year, Aston Martin. Now in Aston Martin, we get the team that went from pink with Force India now they're James Bond, a little bit of a drastic change once Lawrence Stroll came in there, got it under the Aston Martin name. Last year, we saw a car that was pretty noticeably slower than the other two cars on this group, definitely ahead of the back markers that we talked about last podcast, but they had a hard year. Some decent results, some decent results that were marked out by uh, kind of unfortunate circumstances. We'll get to that in a little bit. Sorry, Sebastian Vettel. Noah or Lance, do you guys want to give your two cents on Aston Martin, where they're at as a team? Yeah, no, I think Aston Martin's a fun team on the grid. Uh, it's nice to have that name and that brand recognition. And I'm personally, one thing I like most about them is their livery, or their livery, excuse me. I like the British Racing Green. I like seeing the color on the grid. I think they're a fun team, and I really like the driver lineup that they're going with right now. Oh, yeah, you got to have some British Racing Green on the grid. Got to have a team coming from Silverstone repping that James Bond of the, of the formula one world, my favorite color, you got to get it on the grid. So yeah, Aston Martin coming back into the team after being a uh, part of F1 way back when, uh, in I believe the fifties and sixties, but not even then for very long. So it's nice to see them back on the field. It's unfortunate that you don't have any team under Indian name anymore, but, um, but it's fun to see Aston Martin. Noah, what, what, what are you thinking about Aston Martin, current state of affairs? I agree with you guys. I love the livery. I love the James Bond classy look. I think it makes them, it makes them stand out on the grid. And I, I think, you know, if they can get the car right, it'd be really cool to see that car on the podium. They only got it right a couple times last year. And unfortunately, like you said, Tanner, they did get marked out with those but I think having Seb Vettel as a uh, as a guiding driver for them I think really propels them into a you know a place where they can contend if they have the car now you know you talked about their team build they did lose their team principal to Alpine Otmar Safnauer this uh, offseason which may be a big loss we'll see how that goes because he was kind of a he was kind of a good force for them but Lance Stroll does get a bit of a bad rap as a, as a pay driver. I think he's shown a lot of talent in F1 when he was, especially when he was with Williams and for his first couple years with uh, force India slash racing point. So that's kind of my take with where they're at. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that sets us up for a good spot to dive into the drivers. Yeah, sure. And you just mentioned Lance Stroll, so we can start off with him. Like you said, started with, uh, Williams, when his father put in a big portion of money into them, Lawrence Stroll, fashion icon, uh, when he bought into Williams, he bought in, I believe, 16.7% share of that company. And so that's a huge deal, especially for those teams that don't have necessarily that, you know, poster stamp on the side of their car, like Patronus, like a Ramco, like BWT now shifting from Aston Martin to Alpine. And so, yeah, Lawrence Stroll, Big Daddy Stroll uh, <laughs> with Lance coming in on his shoulders. And but like you said, Lance deserves every every bit of praise that probably deserves. He, yeah, Lance, you're he deserves a great podcaster. Hey, what can I say? I, I love all the praise coming my way. I appreciate it. Uh, I think the big factor here between Lance Ellington, the podcaster and Lance, the F1 driver is that Lance is Lance Stroll, the F1 driver. And no, he is really good. He has shown that uh, he deserves to be there, I think, outside of his daddy's money, shall we say. And I think given the right car, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel can be, you know, competitive on the grid and really competing for the 
for the best of the rest spot and can get up there and make their strides up there, hopefully this year or next. Absolutely. And kind of like running off of what you said with having the right car, Lance Stroll has found podiums in the in the past. He drove in formula three with some significant other formula one names, Antonio Giovinazzi, Charles Leclerc, Alex Albon, George Russell, and his second year in formula three, he absolutely dominated an, yeah, and Lance Stroll brought in tons of results with Prima Racing in Formula 3 his second year. He won by something crazy like 140 points or something like that. He had 14 race victories, absolutely dominated the field. Albon and George Russell were still there. And the year after he was promoted to Formula 1, uh, obviously he came on the shoulders of Lawrence Stroll. But uh, anybody who does that in Formula 3 or higher, you know, <laughs> warrants a seat in Formula 1. So Maybe Lance Stroll hasn't had the greatest results, at least last year, um, but he does deserve a seat at the moment. That's, that can't be debated too much. Well, what we can say about Lance Stroll is he took up the most coveted spot of racing during the Monaco Grand Prix last year. And one of the only on-track overtakes, instead of seeing the overtake, we saw Lance Stroll going over a bump. And let me tell you, that was one great bump. So thank you, Lance Stroll, for that one. Um, and, and maybe that wasn't the case for European viewers, but for Americans like us, it, it uh, kind of gave us a little sour taste about the broadcasting and the... No, we don't, need to, we don't need to shit on the broadcasting too much. We're going to have plenty of races you know i think we're at 22 races as of time of recording this podcast so there's plenty of time to uh, give the broadcasting a hard time then one thing i do want to touch on that you mentioned earlier tanner was that lance stroll does deserve a seat in f1 at this time but he has been with you know racing point i guess aston martin now since 2019 you know so he's put in a few seasons and with this fourth season what are we expecting or what kind of pressure is on him to perform? Yes, he has the backing of his dad and whatnot, which is big and is big for him and big for the team. But what do we think is the pressure is he feeling to perform and really show he needs to stay in order to be in Formula One moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it's a mixed bag for Lance Stroll, right? Like as long as Lawrence Stroll is a part of Aston Martin, it's, it's tough to imagine him kicking, off his, kicking his son off the team. Um, but there's a little bit of pressure for sure. I mean, it's been few and far between when Lance Stroll has finished ahead of his teammate. He lost last year to uh, Sebastian Vettel, 34 to 43. So still pretty close to a former, former driver's champion. But as we've seen with a lot of drivers, time could be coming up again. It might be surprising to see with Lawrence Stroll, but who knows to be, to be honest. Yeah. And you say 34 to 43. I mean, you got to keep in mind that a lot of these teams like Aston Martin, like Alpine, most of their points are being scored in, you know, the six to 10 range, which isn't a lot of points per race. So that's a sizable amount of races where Vettel scored in the points and Lance Stroll probably did not. So, so you guys are right. His, his time, his days may be numbered. We'll see how he does this year, how he squares up. I think he's really got to show out more in qualifying. I think that's that's what really set him back in 2021, his qualifying. There were a lot of times where he just kind of disappeared and maybe he came 16th in, in Q3, so he got eliminated. I think he's got to do better. Of course, of course, that's dependent on the car, but we'll see how he does going forward this year. Actually, you talked about struggles in qualifying. Sebastian Vettel won the bad qualifying championship last year. He won, he won the, he won the award for having the most overtakes and races throughout the season, which, you know, in a lot of circles is called the bad qualifying championship. So, you know, kudos to him for his race craft, but his, uh, his lap speed in qualifying was, uh, not the best last season, but, Lance, I think you have a point about Sebastian Vettel. There's a lot you can say about him. Former driver's champion in probably the twilight of his career, but definitely an icon in the sport. No, I agree. Uh, Vettel, you know, a great name in the sport of um, racing overall and specifically in Formula One. You know, he had his stretch where he was, you know, a four-time defending, I guess, 
world champ Sebastian Vettel. You know, he has held that title. He has gone through it. And what's interesting is we talk about the days numbered with Lance Stroll is with Vettel. I don't think that's a conversation now, but eventually he is going to be, you know, getting close to his final couple seasons, whether that's this year, if he surprises us, or maybe he has one or two left. And one kind of, I guess, meter that I use to compare these teams, especially when you're talking about the lower midfield, is how they're doing compared to their teammates. You know, and Vettel outperformed his teammate last year and has, you know, for the most part done that in his career. And as long as he can continue to do that, I think he'll stay on the track and stay in Formula One. I think that's just a good measurement of to see how Vettel's performing. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, he did lose to Charles Leclerc, which was part of the reason that Ferrari decided to move directions onto Carlos Sainz. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how it goes, um, especially with the new regs. This, these cars may be different to drive. I mean, we just saw a little bit with testing. These cars are, I, th- I think the technical term is porpoising. Essentially, they look like they're bouncing, uh, which seems like it might be painful to, for the drivers. I don't know. Old, old man Vettel might want to retire if the, if the car's real bouncy, if there's not a lot of uh, flex, but we'll yeah, see. I got to be honest. That doesn't look like much fun. The videos <laughs> of the guys coming down the straights and their heads just bump, bumping up and down or around that halo on the car. Yeah. I think they're supposed to be trying to fix it. They're supposed to be. And, and rumor has it that McLaren has a, has figured it out before everyone else, but you know, all these teams, all these team principals like to sandbag. So who knows what's true? Yeah, for sure. But, you know, getting back to Sebastian Vettel, he had some some big moments last time, last year. A couple of things we've hit on a few times, uh, including that event, that finish in Hungary after teammate Lance Stroll and Mercedes driver Valtteri Bottas basically took out the field on the first lap of the race. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they took out the field, right? Bowling ball. Bowling balls, absolutely. (laughs) And it was so much fun to watch as an Alcon fan. But for Sebastian Vettel there, he was on Alcon's tail the entire race, finished in P2, didn't get the result. He did not have enough oil left in his car and was disqualified for the violation of that rule. So, you know, something you definitely don't want to see as a racing fan, Vettel had a great race and just finished with kind of something just a little sad to see, to be honest. And uh, that would have been huge points for Aston Martin. I mean, you're talking about a team with 77 total points. Second place is 18 points. That's a huge deal to a team like Aston Martin. Yeah, you might want to say that they uh, they left a little bit in the tank, huh? Mm. <laughs> Good one, Noah. Thanks. Well, I think that's one thing with Vettel is, uh, and just with being a veteran between the two of him and Lance Stroll, even though he has been getting these years under his belt now, is he's just been more of a consistent driver, whether that's been in, in quality or whether that's been with being able to overtake during the races. And I think that's what's been separating the two between them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's definitely true. And we'll see what happens in 2022 with how much they're able to separate themselves by, but with all that, I guess it's time to get into our quarterback comparisons for these drivers. I guess we'll start with the guy that we've been talking about recently with Sebastian Vettel. Now I didn't like picking a modern quarterback for him, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on that. Uh, but for our modern quarterback, I picked Russell Wilson for Sebastian Vettel. And for a quarterback that is now retired, but I think is a much better fit for him, I have Peyton Manning. So, Noah, go. What do you think about these takes? My initial reaction is, why would you do Russell Wilson? Why would you do a quarterback who has never even received an MVP vote for a driver who won four drivers' championships? That is the MVP. Like, there's no debating that. That is the MVP. So I don't think Russell Wilson's the great one. Now, you absolutely flip-flopped to the retired quarterback and went for Peyton Manning, a guy who's won five MVPs, but only only one or two two Super Bowls. And so I like Peyton Manning comp a lot more. Yeah, I don't know if there is a good modern comparison, um, especially trying to decide someone 
who has won at the highest level consistently, but maybe hasn't won in a while. A lot of those guys have retired by now. So you're right. Maybe Peyton Manning is a good comp, but yeah, Russell Wilson ain't it for me. No. And I think, let me, let me defend myself to save myself <laughs> a little bit of flack. Um, it's partially cause I'm saving some of these quarterbacks for the, for future drivers that are yet to be discussed and we don't want to get as much overlap. Um, but even more so with Russell Wilson, you're talking about a guy who has won a Super Bowl, who was great that season, has been great for their, a lot of seasons. Last year wasn't the best, but we don't have to talk about that. Last year wasn't the best for Vettel either. But, you know, with that, Russell Wilson is a guy that's liked pretty much all around the league. He's got a positive perception in the eyes of the community. I can't speak to how he was during his Red Bull days, but today that's Sebastian Vettel. He's somebody who stands up for what he believes in, uh, was pictured a few times last season, supporting the pride movement before races and uh, helping some grounds crews after races, picking up trash with them after the race ended. So we were talking about a guy who at least last year was very well liked all around the league. And Russell Wilson has, has kind of gotten that crown at least a little bit out of the quarterbacks in the NFL, but Lance, let's, let's hear what you have to say. See if you're going to, you're going to tackle me on this Russell Wilson comp too. So, so I, I agree and disagree with, with both comparisons that we have here is the Russell Wilson and Peyton Manning. It's interesting. He gets compared to both of those because no one who covers the NFL would ever compare Russell Wilson to Peyton Manning at all. No matter what you're talking about, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's team play style, those would never get compared. But when you throw a guy like Sebastian Vettel into the mix, who maybe does have that personality, right? And a little bit of Wilson, you know, has a little bit of pedigree there with winning. That is where you're pairing it there. But on the Peyton Manning side, you know, he has those MVP. He has those championships. He has, he's a veteran, you know, he is a Hall of Fame QB and Vettel is a Hall of Fame F1 driver. So I see both, both notes there. I do give a little bit of laugh at the Russell Wilson thing. Cause I, it is tough, you know, Noah made a good point about the MVPs and that's hard to argue with. The thing I like about Vettel and for his comparison is I'd probably have to go with Aaron Rodgers when I'm thinking about it now more in depth and taking a step back. And that's because again, of those MVPs and that the difficulty there is that Rodgers is still winning MVPs and most likely Vettel's days of winning championships are over, we presume. So that's my only issue with the comparison there. I do agree, though. You were, you were delivered a tough one with figuring out a comparison for Vettel. I think the Sheriff and Peyton Manning does work, and that's a solid one. Aaron Rodgers doesn't work perfectly either for that, that character comp that you were talking about. We're going to get to Aaron Rodgers later. Don't you worry. We're going to get to him. <laughs> I'm, I'm saving him. I'm saving him. But, you know, with all that, we're going to move on to Lance Stroll, and I'm going to compare him to a quarterback that, Lance, you and I have been on the record saying is a little bit overrated, but I think it's a good comp for Lance Stroll. It's somebody who deserves to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, somebody who's pretty middle of the road in terms of his talent, and that person is Ryan Tannehill. And this works for a few reasons. We're talking about somebody who's – a pretty average quarterback for all intents and purposes. We've seen him succeed on good teams. We saw Lance Stroll succeed in the pink Mercedes in 2020 alongside Sergio Perez. And um, yeah, I think the comparison just works. Uh, Pretty average drivers who have done well in good teams. I butchered all of that. I just called Ryan Tannehill a driver. No, you're good. Uh, Thinking about Ryan Tannehill as the comp for Lance Stroll, the kind of note there with these teams is that Stroll's deserving of a seat and Ryan Tannehill's deserving of being a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I don't think either of their teams are looking to move on from them as, you know, as athletes, as a driver in a QB. But would they be upset if a better driver came along or if they had the opportunity to increase the talent there? I don't think so. I think both are open to that. And I think that's where the comparison is at its strongest here. That's a good point. That's a good point. And another point to add there is the Titans with Tannehill have been pretty, pretty competitive. Um, and, and Tannehill has kind of thrived under that. Similar to Aston Martin, and I think it was 2020, you know, Lance Stroll was, was pretty competitive. He did get beaten by then teammate Sergio Perez, but 
he was good. He was really good. And um, that's a good comp thinking about performing with the correct pieces around you. And I don't know if there's a, a, a better comp for Lance Stroll. He's hard too, because, you know, he is younger, which is why I have a bit of a problem with the Ryan Tannehill comp, but solely basing a player comp on age is a little too simple. So I'm not going to be upset about Ryan Tannehill for that reason. Ah, resurrection. Okay. Yeah, you're, I'll take you're it. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I redeemed myself. Okay, cool. Yeah. With that, we can move on to Alpha Tauri and get into their team a little bit. Okay, let's jump into Alpha Tauri. Yeah, so you've got the sister team of Red Bull here. One of the kind of more interesting, or one of the, these are all interesting teams, these three, but they are formerly known as Toro Rosso. You have to note that most of the drivers on the grid at one point were associated with Red Bull Racing or the Red Bull Academy. And so a lot of them did go through Toro Rosso or what's now Alpha Tauri. And so you've got Pierre Gasly and Yuki Sonoda leading them right now who are in the Red Bull system. Pierre Gasly, who was a Red Bull driver. A lot to unpack there. Tanner, what do you think about Alpha Tauri? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that I want to take away from what you just mentioned is how Alpha Tauri is that breeding ground for the, the full Red Bull team, right? Like you talk about the most notable drivers who have gone from Alpha Tauri to Red Bull. You have Alex Albon very recently, Daniel Ricardo, Carlos Sainz never made it to Red Bull, but was with Toro Rosso, Max Verstappen, Sebastian Vettel. So a ton of big names and obviously big one that we're going to get to here in a second, Pierre Gasly. Um, but you think about them a lot, at least in the past, in the similar vein to how we think about Haas, maybe Haas, but definitely Williams now, where Williams is a little bit of a breeding ground for Mercedes and Haas, at least a little bit, maybe Alfa Romeo's in there too, is a little bit of a breeding ground for Ferrari. Alfa Tauri's made a jump. They were better than Aston Martin last season. They showed a lot of real pace. And so it's tough to think about them in the same vein as those other two teams who quite obviously have fallen behind the pack in the last few years. And Alpha Tauri's just making this jump and showed a lot of pace, especially at the end of the season, Yuki getting some, some big results too. No. And, and the, one of the reasons though, the Alpha Tauri is making this jump that we're talking about is because of their driver in Pierre Gasly, who was able to score 110 points outscoring his teammate by over 80 points last season, which was huge and just shows, you know, how competent of a driver Pierre Gasly is, how consistent he is. And for all of us that watched last year, we remember seeing him competing up there for fourth place consistently throughout the year, no matter what the track was, no matter what country it was in, he was up there towards the top being highly competitive. Yeah. I mean, you had Pierre Gasly going toe to toe with, Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris for a lot of the beginning of the year. It was those three who were the most competitive outside of the Red Bull and Mercedes drivers for the first half of the year. Eventually, Carlos Sainz caught up too, figuring out the Ferrari car and Daniel Ricciardo kind of not. He had his moments. So he much. had his moments. He had his days. He had his days. We can say that. Yeah, yeah we can. Um, but, but you're right. Uh, Pierre Gasly is a magician in the Alpha Tauri. Notice how I said in the Alpha Tauri, we know that he wasn't great in Red Bull. Alex Albon in his short stint was better. Sergio Perez in his stint so far was better. And so we, after this year, this being the first year where I've been dedicated watching F1, I thought Pierre Gasly's great, but maybe he's just great in the in the Alpha Tauri. Maybe the Honda engine is spectacular. He's a mediocre driver, and Yuki Sonoda's a bad driver. I don't know. I think Yuki's got some talent too. So yeah, with that, let's transition to Yuki Sonoda. What do you guys think about him? So we talk about Yuki Sonoda. We talk about one of the only Japanese drivers, hopefully, to make a big splash in Formula One. Definitely. He's the first Japanese driver since I think 2014. There was a driver from Japan who definitely didn't kill it in F1. So we'll see if Yuki can overcome that. But 
you go through his youth career, he killed it in Japan uh, as a junior driver. He grabbed a seat as a Red Bull junior driver in 2018 and kind of worked his way up slowly but surely. In 2020, he was with Carlin in an F2. He got three wins and finished third in the 2020 Formula 2 championship, which is definitely not something to scoff at. He beat another Red Bull drive, junior driver named, uh, I believe it's Yehan Daruvula, uh, who is pretty, pretty highly touted. And he beat him 200 points to 72, which is, <laughs> you know, we're not all math majors here, but pretty significant. And so Yuki has, has shown some, some good stuff. He finished P14 in the championship last year behind both Alpines, behind both Aston Martin, so definitely not something to write home about, but he grew th- towards the end of the season. Now, and hopefully going into this next season, having more familiar with just Formula One as a whole, and specifically with the AlphaTauri team, you know, with the car, even though it is a new car, just more familiarized with the team overall, he can make those improvements and hopefully start being in the points more often than not. If I remember correctly, he had a lot of finishes where he was kind of just outside the points, maybe somewhere in that 11 to 14 range. You know, I don't remember a ton of races that he finished, shall we say, that he finished, you know, back of the grid in the 16th and back. But he was right on the cusp of points a lot. And he did finish the season extremely strong at Abu Dhabi. Behind all the craziness, you know, of what was going on for the championship, but definitely deserved the spotlight. I believe he finished fourth at the final race of the season. And while also having a sixth place finish during the season uh, at the Hungry Grand Prix. So he does have these uh, these great finishes and has shown, you know, he is a capable driver. Again, it's just one of these things with these younger drivers, I think, especially compared to their counterparts usually have been in the sport a bit longer. They got to prove to be more consistent, whether that's, you know, in qualifying and in the race and also transferring what they do in quality, you know, to race speed and to, you know, that competition and those overtakes and defending. Yeah, and on that, I mean, you mentioned Yuki being a rookie and how he's got growing pains, which is a completely fair point. But what's unfortunate for him is that he is a Red Bull driver. You don't want to say that a driver's second year at such a young age is make or break, but it could be since he's in the Red Bull system where they are judged pretty harshly. Uh, now he does bring in a lot of sponsors from Japan since he is the only Japanese F1 driver, but you know, the point that he is in the Red Bull system makes you a little worried that this could be make or break. I don't know that it is for sure, but I, yeah, we're going to need to see more from Yuki this year for him to get another shot next year, unless I could be wrong. He could be on contract for next year as well. And you talked about Yuki Tsunoda maybe losing his seat for 2023. You got to compare him to another Red Bull junior driver, the guy who just came off winning the Formula 3 championship, uh, Dennis Hauger, channeling through that Red Bull pipeline and now racing for Prima Racing in Formula 2, just by nature of being on that team, is going to have a chance at winning another championship this year. And it's tough to imagine a guy coming from Formula 3 champion to Formula 2 champion, not getting a seat, at least at some point. We're going to get to another guy who who's done that uh, here in a little bit. But Dennis Hauger is definitely going to be nipping at Yuki Tsunoda's heels if he can't prove himself this season. And as we're talking about these drivers, especially with AlphaTauri, one thing that at least comes through to me as a fan, whether that's you know watching, following the team on social media, watching them on YouTube, or whatever the case may be, is that for AlphaTauri in particular, Yuki and Pierre Gasly do seem to have really good chemistry, do seem to get along, you know, love to banter and love the jokes. And I think that's fun, you know, as a, as a fan, you know, not that I'm necessarily a fan of AlphaTauri, but as a fan in general, I like when the driver pairings are able to get along, able to joke around, you know, whether that's in the paddock, whether that's in the different countries making fun videos. Yeah, I do like this driver pairing. I like that they spend time together at least, on social media, you like to see it, whether or not you're a fan. And, and nothing really beats them showing up to Oktoberfest or at least decked out in later hosen. Uh, like they were, I, I think, for the Australian Grand Prix, maybe. Um, but yeah, no, that was fun to see, even as a neutral fan. I, I thought it was really fun. Yeah, I mean, that was a it was a great Instagram picture, had me laughing a lot. 
I think it was the Austrian Grand Prix, so just miss, missing a, a uh-huh. syllable in there. Dang. Um, got got <laughs> Did I say Australian? It. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> hey man, it happens. Austria, Australia, pretty similar. Gosh, countries. that's so embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. No, but uh, I'm, I look forward to this upcoming season with Yuki and Pierre and to uh, AlphaTauri as a whole. Hopefully see them, you know, again, competing for that fifth place title and maybe even getting closer to fourth and third. I mean, we'll see what everything looks like as we get closer to the season start, but should be interesting year for the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess with that, we can get into our quarterback comparison for these two drivers. Um, well, hang on. Before you jump to that, I think I just had an idea. Lance made an interesting point. It should be a good year for the team. Now, we know that Honda as an engine provider is going to be leaving, I think, next year, maybe the year after. So while it might be a good year for Red Bull and Alpha Tauri, they're going to have to figure out who they're going to have as their engine manufacturer going forward, because that's one of the biggest determinants of how competitive your team is going to be. So sorry to interrupt you there, Tanner, but just wanted to point out having Honda as an engine manufacturer that may be on their way out is going to be a pretty big concern for, for that Red Bull system. Yeah. And I think what you said was really good there. And one thing that I want to hit on with that is if I'm not mistaken, I've heard in the grapevine that, that Red Bull might be developing their own engine. And so when you say, that Red Bull system, it's going to hinge all on them if that's the case, if they don't decide to source it from another team or another company on the grid. And I, I just want to drop another nugget in here, not necessarily to AlphaTauri, but these engine providers are going to matter as the grid potentially grows in a couple of years to come as we may get our second American team joining in the Andretta fam. We're just going to dro- drop that. We may discuss more in a future pod, but who sees maybe, maybe 11 teams come 2024. I'm just, I'm just saying. So the engine partners are getting maybe crowded. F1 coming to America. Yeah. We love it. We love it. More Grand Prix. More Grand Prix. More Take affordable Grand Prix would be great too. Just yes. saying. Uh, uh, don't even get me started. Miami, Austin, what are you guys doing? Can't even make the trip. Come on. That's why we need the support here on the podcast, guys. We want to see these races. Can't believe there's not an F1 race in Tennessee. Absolutely hey, shocking. Nashville, future city idea. But anyway, mm-hmm. what do you got for us on these uh, on these football comparisons to keep the conversation going? Yeah, sure. So we'll we'll start with their, you know, undisputed number one driver, Pierre Gasly. I think this guy is a pretty good comparison for Pierre Gasly. You know, we're talking about somebody who's had some struggles. We're talking about somebody who's had some really great results shown up, shown up in a lot of big ways. I think the person that matches that description, especially kind of with the age too in the NFL, is Dak Prescott. We're talking about a guy who's on a big team, who's got some weapons. That's some that's some Red Bull stuff right there. And we're talking about a guy who's had some high highs, absolutely, uh, putting forth some of the best offenses in the NFL in the last few years. We've talked. We're talking about a guy who's had some low lows, who missed huge chunks of a season. Now injuries aren't necessarily a big thing in F one, but low lows kind of tying into that uh, Red Bull appearance. No, what do you think of this comparison? Yeah, I mean, you stole my thought there. Not not that Dak Prescott was on the top of my mind, but when you said Dak Prescott, I thought, ooh, ACL injury is basically his year with Red Bull. And yeah, you're right. I mean, when he's, when he's on, he's on. Um, and that's what he is with, or what, that's what Pierre Gasly is with Alpha Tauri. So I think it's a pretty good comp. He's, you know, one of the top drivers, he's slash one of the top quarterbacks, but he's not in the premier tier. He wants to be in the premier tier. So I think that's a pretty good comp. I kind of like it. Lance, what do you think? You know, I got to agree with it. And anytime we can knock a Dallas player out of an elite tier, I'm all for it. So I'll totally back that idea. <laughs> but I think it's a really good comp. And honestly, you make me feel a little bit bad about the comp that I made in our previous episode comparing Botas to Dak. Makes me think Botas deserves more respect. But on the Gasly note, I think both points you guys are making as far as where the similarities are is with their seasons, with the injuries – uh, the potential that they do have, but having some highs as well as having the lows. I think it's a really good comp. 
what do you have for uh, for Yuki? Yeah, for Yuki, it was it was a little tough. It, it's very similar to the Alex Albon vein in my head. And so for him, I have two attack of Iloa. We have a guy who was pretty highly touted first coming into F1. Um, Tua was the number two overall pick in his NFL draft. And after Yuki's first race, Formula One's technical director, Ross Braun, a former owner of Braun Racing, led his team to his championship in 2009, called Yuki the F1's best rookie for years, which is you know, pretty high praise for anybody, like, especially coming from Ross Braun, who knows a ton about racing. And like Tua, Yuki has kind of gone downhill throughout the season. He didn't have a ton of great results. Tua definitely didn't, hasn't lived up to the hype, but there's still room to get better for Tua, right? He has a better team than he came into the league with. He's got Jalen Waddle. He's got Devontae Parker still. And uh, he could get a lot better. And I think that's the case with Yuki, too. He could see a lot of room for growth for both of those guys. No, you're looking pretty pensive there. What do you have to say? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you made a lot of good points about Tua. But the, the part where you kind of get me um, or lose me is Tua had this, this year just now, his second year, where he kind of put a lot of doubt in people and it was more than the doubt that he's young, that he's a rookie, that he'll grow. This new doubt for Tua is that maybe he'll never get there. And I don't think that's the worry for Yuki yet. Could it be in a year? Absolutely. But I don't think that's the worry for Yuki yet. And so I think a better comp or at least a comp that I like is Justin Fields. So he's a year younger uh, Justin Fields came in as the number one recruit in the country going into college. And so that ties into your Ross Braun praise. That's, that's, that's where I'm going to cover that base. And maybe, maybe Justin Fields doesn't have the success in his rookie year that, uh, that Yuki did as scoring points anyway, but I think promise wise, I think I might like Justin Fields more personally uh, just because Neither of them have that greater concern amongst fans that Tua might have. Yeah, when, when I'm thinking about the comp for Yuki, what I think it kind of comes down to is, do you think this upcoming season is a make it or break it for Yuki? If he doesn't perform, do you think he's out? Or if he doesn't perform, do you think he could still stay? And I think, you know, most people are in the boat of, he's going to have another year in F1 post-2022 is my thought. And I think with the quarterback like Tua is it is a make it or break it year, right? You mentioned the pieces they have around him. He has to prove that he deserves to belong there. I think Yuki has more on his leash, which is maybe why the rookie comparison of a Justin Fields does work. This is a year where he needs to perform and needs to show his growth and be closer, at least with Pierre Gasly and competitiveness with points. Then I think you do get closer to a Tua, or dare I say, a Daniel Jones, where it is, you know, this is the last chance. This is it. But I do probably lean more towards the Justin Fields, and there's a little bit more of a leash there for him to uh, have time to grow and show what he's worth. There's probably a middle ground there. I don't know what it is, but there's probably a middle ground there between Tua and Justin Fields. Jalen Hurts probably has proved himself at least last season a little bit more than Tua has. It's kind of close. Those he two has a longer leash. You're right, but those Jalen two players has are a pretty low ceiling, and I don't know that people think that about Yuki. Right. Yeah. But well, it's tough with Jalen Hurts, right? He's somebody who has a lot of talents. He's fast. He can run. He can throw a little bit. He's very measured in the way he thinks, and so he's pretty relaxed under pressure. But um, it's That's a mixed Yuki. Bag. That's not my guy, Yuki. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, one thing, <laughs> Yuki's, one a thing fireball. Yuki's talked about, man, what he's been talking about this offseason is he doesn't think he was in the best of shape last year, right? I mean, make no mistake, these drivers, they're athletes, right? They got to sit in this car for two hours during the race. They have it's a mental and physical toll on their bodies. And he's openly talked about maybe not being in the best of shape last year, not taking care and 
maybe he's put in that time and maybe that was a difference of him, you know, getting into the points and being on the outside and he just didn't have the mental strength or maybe the physical toughness with the G forces they experience and just little things like that may add up to a big difference. Yeah. I mean, he's got to build the neck muscles that, that Fernando Alonso has. And on that note, let's jump into Alpine now. Yes, Alonzo, one of the Mac daddies of Formula One, thick neck himself, the Spanish <laughs> stallion, El Plan. We're getting into Alpine, boys. I am ready. I am prepped and I am excited. Are you? So we're talking about Alpine. It's a team that's stemming from Renault, who has so much history in Formula One, uh, originally stemming from Tolman in 1981, getting into Benetton. You guys know Benetton. Michael Schumacher won his first championship there. Kind of big name there. Then they got into Renault, took a break from Renault, went into financially not stable Lotus, where Kimi Raikkonen had a stint, <laughs> got back into Renault, and now they're in Alpine, getting the Alpine car brand into Formula One, being a big deal. They just got BWT, so they went away from the beautiful royal blue that I absolutely love. They still have it. They got pink in there too. It's fine. It's not the best livery, but it's okay. It's fine. I can deal with it. But yes, we're talking about my favorite team. We're talking about Alpine. We're talking about Fernando Alonso, two-time Drivers World Champion. And we're talking about fantastic story. Come up from nothing compared to the other Formula One drivers. Esteban Alcon, my guy. Let's go. Lance, what do you got to say about Alpine? You know, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you. I feel like you're introducing someone on America's Got Talent in the final round or, or just some type of game show right now because you're just speaking with such enthusiasm. And I love it. I love the excitement you have about your team in particular and about these drivers. And I got to be honest, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Alpine because I do love the driver combo that they have in Fernando Alonso and in Esteban Ocon. I really like the blue that they had. And it's not because I don't like pink. It's because I don't like the way they use the pink on the car moving forward is my issue with it, I will say. It has nothing to do with the strict color itself. It has to do with me wanting to see heavier blue rather than the heavier pink on the car. But I'm excited to talk about Alpine and to get into this driver and lineup and discuss things going forward. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned you guys talked a lot about the livery and they're going to be going into the first two races of the year with that primary pink livery, uh, which was, I'll admit, I thought that was the real one because that's the first one I saw on the release. And I was I was laughing a lot because I've got I've got Tanner as my twin, you know, loving Alpine like he like he does. And I was just like, you just had your hopes destroyed. But the blue, the primary blue with the pink secondary, it's fine. Like you said, I, I think I think it's OK. Um, it's not quite as uh, Ray Hudson soccer commentary. It's not as magisterial as uh, oh my God. as as Alpine fans might be looking for. But the driver comps really cool. You know, Fernando Alonso is a paramount icon of the sport we just talked about Sebastian Vettel not long ago and you've got another guy who's just an absolute icon Fernando Alonso who correct me if I'm wrong but he's only lost to his teammate once in his career in his illustrious career he is truly one of the best drivers on the grid even at his age one of my favorite moments of racing last year was him defending Lewis Hamilton, which helped Esteban Ocon get the win, his first Grand Prix win. Whether or not I was rooting for him, Fernando Alonso's defense there was maybe my favorite driving from the year last year. So Tanner, I'll give you that one. Yeah, I mean, you can't say enough about Fernando Alonso. He's he's one of the best drivers He's in Formula One today. He's absolutely one of the best drivers in Formula One today, historically. Um, you know, you said he's only lost to his teammate once. He tied in points to his teammate with McLaren in 2009, I believe, to, you know, you might know him, Lewis Hamilton. They tied. They gave up the championship to Kimi Raikkonen with Ferrari at the time. Maybe 2007. Maybe I was wrong there. 
And the only other time he lost to his teammate, 2016, first season back with McLaren. So you got to, you got to get ingratiated to a new car, not a good car that season. The team scored a total of 27 points and he lost 16 to 11 to another driver's world champion, Jensen Button. And so it's not even like he lost to some scrub. He lost to another champion. So you can't say enough about Fernando Alonso, El Plan, coming back to the Renault group with Alpine now. He won with them twice in 05 and 06. And he's he's an iconic driver, not only in Formula One, but in all of motorsport. He, he won Le Mans, which is, for people who don't know, it's a 24-hour race. Uh, one of the most prestigious races in motorsport. Absolutely impressive to win it at all. Be a part of the team who won it at the very least. They have three drivers for each team in Le Mans. But can't say enough about Elplan. Uh, great driver pairing for uh, Esteban Alcon. And it's lovely, lovely, absolutely fantastic to see him back in the sport after his temporary retirement with my team Alpine. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good pairing right now. Well, I think I love about Alonzo and the way I kind of look at him as a driver, someone newer to F1 and is someone, you know, as we've been doing these NFL comps, Fernando Alonso is a first ballot Hall of Famer in the world of motorsports, right? In the world of Formula One, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer is how I would describe him to someone who doesn't understand Formula One entirely. And as we talk about him, one thing I love watching in the Grand Prix, yes, Alonzo may no longer be competing for a world championship whether that's, you know, constructors or drivers, he's no longer at that top, but you can still see his experience and him being a veteran and his driving skills and the turns he takes and defense skills and the defensive plays that he makes on, on the track is just very impressive and very enjoyable to watch. We talked about him defending Lewis, who is one of the best drivers, if you know, one of the best drivers on the grid right now. And it's just enjoyable to watch someone who is great at their craft. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about, you talked about some of his past accomplishments. You talked about him stepping away from formula one and then coming back. And, and you didn't even mention there's a whole nickname for what he's done to teammates. I mean, when, after button retired with McLaren, his next teammate was Stoffel Van Dorn, who was a promising talent, a, a Belgian driver and Alonzo put him to shame. And so, so now anytime a, a teammate absolutely destroys their teammate, it's called being Van Dorned. And I don't think that's as much a slight to Van Dorn as, a, as much as it is a testament to Fernando Alonso's craft and his race driving ability. Yeah. And one thing we talked so much about that amazing defense and Hungary, but you also got to give him credit. When he was in Secure, he finished second. He got a podium last year, and it was a huge result. We all heard Esteban tell Esteban to defend like a lion. Maybe it wasn't a lion. It wasn't a cub. Got to give Esteban some credit. He put up a fight, <laughs> at least a little fight. Teenage Simba, maybe. Teenage Simba, sure, sure. Preteen. Preteen Preteen. We'll, we'll, we'll be realistic with it. <laughs> Yeah, and he finished with 81 points in P10, just seven ahead of, of like we said, race winner Esteban Ocon. So he had a great season, definitely a good time to return back into F1 with a, a decent Alpine car, not a not a perfect Alpine car. They were, you know, definitely slower than Ferrari and McLaren throughout the season. We'll see what the new regs bring them. But I guess, I guess we can get to my guy. We can get to Esteban Ocon. I'm a lot higher on him than at least I know Noah is, but we can move on to him. Noah, take me back to reality. Bring me back down to earth. What do you, what do you have on Esteban Ocon? He's a good driver. He's a fine driver. Do not get me wrong. But in my opinion, I don't think he's much of a needle mover. I think, you know, he, he lost out to Sergio Perez, a racing point slash force India, whatever. He lost to Fernando Alonso, which, you know, everybody does. So that's, that's not a slight. He's fine. He's okay. He could be a good second driver for a top team. But the fact remains that I said second driver. I did not say first driver. I don't think he's a bad driver. I think he deserves a spot on the grid. He won a Grand Prix. That can, I cannot take anything away from him because of that. 
So I, yeah, again, I think he's a great driver. I just don't think he has, you know, we've talked about ceiling. I don't think he has as high of a ceiling as a lot of other drivers do. No, that's fair. I'd agree with the ceiling part on Esteban Ocon and cannot take the one away from him. That is right. He has one and he deserves his props, but I will say he did finish close to Alonzo and that is a little skewed because of that win. And be, you know, you do got to, when we're thinking long-term and we're thinking expectations as a driver, we got to go outside the bubble of the world and realize he was put in that position because of the crash. It takes talent to follow through and to win that. But because of Lewis, Lewis's mistake as it was of not, you know, switching tires as everyone else did and the crash that took place, he was able to gain a lot of points with that first place and pull himself closer to Alonzo to stay competitive. So over time, there wasn't as much as a gap as they got towards the end of the season. But I still see Ocon as competing, being a good driver for Alpine. And there's a reason, right, we're talking about them last is, you know, they were the best of this lower field, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to be realistic about Ocon too. Um, he's, he's worse than some other drivers on the grid. Uh, he did come well behind Daniel Ricciardo in 2020 in that Renault car. Uh, of course, Daniel Ricciardo put in a, a great result in 2020 coming fifth place in that Renault car. That was good, not great. Um, it probably but- didn't belong in fifth probably didn't belong in fifth. And that's something that we'll get to with Daniel Ricardo on the McLaren podcast. He's, he's a great driver. He's still, he's still got a ton in him, but one thing you mentioned, especially with Esteban Elkan, and he did get a three-year extension last year. And so theoretically he should be with Alpine for a few more years, a three-year contract for any team, almost for any driver, maybe a couple are exceptions and maybe this is the new age of formula one contracts as we've seen with max verstappen as we've seen with lando norris as of late is these longer contracts but you gotta you you have to realize too we don't know how long fernando alonso is going to be racing for he might not want to be done and maybe alpine will want to move on for this young guy in the rafters that we've hinted at a few times this podcast a few times last week Oscar Piastri. Now, Oscar Piastri won Formula 3 his rookie year there. He won Formula 2 his rookie year there. And now he is the Alpine reserve driver. And so if Alcon or Alonso have to miss a race, or if they just want to try Piastri out in a practice or a testing, that's what he's there for. He's he's in waiting. He, he is next man up and theoretically We'll see him in Formula One next season, probably as an Alpine driver, theoretically coming in for Fernando Alonso after his retirement. But Esteban Ocon does have to keep proving himself uh, going forward. Well, and I think one thing with Esteban Ocon, and it's not this way just for F1, it's with any sport right now in the world. Heck, even the Olympics, talent is getting younger every year. Esteban Ocon is 25 years old. He is not old by any means, but Max Verstappen is 24 years old and just won the world championship. It's not fair to compare the two. I completely agree, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be another young star, you know, after Piastri maybe takes Alonso who could come up and outroot Ocon when he turns 28, 29, the pressure is going to be on, you know, for these drivers who are reaching their late twenties, their mid twenties to continue to prove themselves as drivers get younger and enter formula one at the age of 18, 19 years old. And they have the talent there. Yeah. And you make a great point about the youth of F1 um, going forward, but you, you have to answer the question. What does it take to be an F1 driver? You have a guy who won F3 his rookie year. He won F2 his rookie year there. What more can you do if you're Oscar Piastri to get an F1C? You you have to feel a little cheated uh, if you're in his spot. And so, you know, obviously it's an accomplishment to be an F1 reserve driver. It's nothing to scoff at, but he deserves a Formula One seat. He really deserves a Formula One seat. So you kind of question some of the other appointments this year, like Guan Yu Zhou for Alfa Romeo, because it really does set you back not being able to pull in the same sponsors that other drivers pull in. And, you know, that's a reality of the sport. The One of the main determinants 
is not just your racecraft ability, which is unfortunate for Oscar Piastri, but hopefully he'll have his time. God knows he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only reason you can, I guess, excuse the F1 world for not putting him in a seat this season is because he has been an Alpine junior driver. And so he's within that academy. They want him. They don't want anybody else to get him. And putting him in a reserve seat is giving him a chance to practice more in the Formula One car that is tangibly different from Formula Two, where guys like Mick Schumacher, guys like Mazepin, guys like Guan Yu Zhou this year had to move straight from Formula Two into this new, pretty different Formula One car. And you can see them struggle in their rookie year. And so the only excuse you can give Alpine in, in that scenario is that they're grooming him really hard. They want to make sure he gets hits the ground running and firing on all cylinders. Well, and that's one thing, you know, he is a reserve driver, but teams, you know, reserve drivers are very valuable to teams, not just of having a competent, you know, backup, shall we say, but also in helping fine tune the car and the practice and the simulation hours that they're able to put in with the car is very helpful to the team and to the drivers on the grid as a whole and helping, you know, refine that process and making sure the car is running, I guess, at top performance come time for the weekends. Yeah, and that's a good point. One of the cooler things that I enjoyed last year was Alex Albon releasing his circuit notes before every race. He would kind of give an overview of each turn at every circuit, and he'll say, this one, you have to look for this. This at, at, In this straight, you know, you go flat out, and you'll have some unique details that for an unexperienced uh, F1 fan – was really cool to see and um, helpful to know what to expect for the race going forward. So that's something that reserve drivers can provide for sure is a little bit of a game plan, especially if they've seen tracks before, which F2 drivers get to see at, is it, is it eight tracks? They, they do eight races a year, I believe. Um, I think they're upping it yeah. for 2022, but last year they didn't, they didn't do a ton of races. Yeah. Well, I, either way, Oscar Piastri will have some notes. Um, for for the drivers uh, for Alpine for some of the races, not that they'll maybe need it because guys like Fernando Alonso maybe don't need advice from from youngsters like Piastri. But uh, I know Fernando Alonso is open to new ideas. I mean, he started doing his track walks before races this year, so that that was something that he hadn't done before. Yeah, I mean so, Fernando Alonso is a guy that is constantly evolving his game. He's making sure he stays with the times. That's going to take me pretty perfectly into our, our quarterback comparisons for Fernando Alonso. He's a guy I said, I meant, said earlier that I was, I was saving, I was saving Aaron Rodgers for Fernando Alonso, Aaron Rodgers, definitely early in his career and mid middle of his career was one of those guys that everybody said it's, it's, as one of the most talented quarterbacks they had seen maybe ever. And a lot of people have said the same about Fernando Alonso. You talk about a guy who in Rogers in Alonso, who's not always on the best team, but has always been able to extract a ton out of the team at their, that they're on. And so I think it's a pretty great comparison. Uh, feel free to poke holes in it if you want, but that's what I have for Fernando Alonso. I got to agree with this comparison pretty wholeheartedly. You kind of put me into a corner. I do think Aaron Rodgers is extremely talented, and this hits on a note that I mentioned earlier. As far as someone being great on their craft, whatever it may be, is just an enjoy to watch. Fernando Alonso is a joy to watch because he knows a Formula One car. He knows the tracks inside and out, and he's fantastic. Aaron Rodgers is very similar, you know, as of QB in the NFL and his routes with his wide receivers, his passes, his, the timing, the blocking, the protection. He's able to, to control it all and run it all very similar the way Fernando Alonso is able to control his car on the track, breaking late, through the turns, defending. And it's a joy to watch as a fan. Noah, what do you make of this Alonzo Rogers comparison? I agree with both of you. I think one thing that both of them are able to do is make it look easy. They do these indescribable things in both of their respective sports that other players or drivers just aren't able to do. You know, you look at 
what Aaron Rodgers does as a quarterback, or you look at what Fernando Alonso does as a driver, and you try and compare them to other players in their sports and you find it difficult. They're able to make the game simple or make the sports simple. They have this innate ability to just show their talent. And not only just that, I think they, they've had pretty similar careers. I think, you know, Rogers only has one Super Bowl. I think two or three MVPs, maybe just two. Yes. I think he has four MVPs. Or I was very wrong. I was very wrong. But uh, Fernando Alonso has two driver's championships, so not quite as much as some of the greats, but still regarded as one of the as as one of the greats of their sports purely for their ability um, or racecraft to just really stand above the rest. So I really do like the comp. Cannot poke any holes in your. NFL player comp this time, Tanner. I'll Definitely take that. better than Vettel. You did better than Vettel with this one. Give myself a big pat on the back for this one. We'll see how you guys feel about this next one. In Esteban Alcon, again, we're talking about a guy who's won a Grand Prix, which is hard to do. We're talking about a guy who's, like Noah said earlier, who's good, not great, who could get even better. He's still kind of young. And I'm comparing him to Derek Carr today. We're talking about a guy who, at his best, was coming close on getting an MVP award a few years back before he got hurt, especially in the last two, maybe two years, probably. He's been a decent quarterback. He hasn't, you know, even come close to a top, top five quarterback, but he's been, he's always been solid. He's been somebody you can rely on at a quarterback, definitely not somebody that you're actively going out to try and replace. And I think of Esteban Ocon in a pretty similar way. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think Derek Carr is also a pretty good comp. I don't know if Ocon's ever had that almost MVP season that Carr had one year, but I think it's a pretty good comp, especially when you're looking at their career achievements. I mean, Derek Carr, because of an injury for that top year, has almost never played he played in one this year has almost never played in the playoffs his team has not had a ton of success nor have Esteban Alcons but they've always been regarded as pretty good uh, slightly above average players or athletes in their respective sports so I think it's a pretty good comp I'd struggle to think of anyone who's had similar career success I mean, we talked about Ryan Tannehill earlier. I think he's a little bit similar, but that might be a bit of a disservice to Esteban Alcon um, since Tannehill had, well, I don't know. Tannehill did have some struggles. He left the Dolphins and people didn't really know where he was going to go with his career after that. And maybe that is a good comp because Alcon missed a year uh, when he left Racing Point. He He was a reserve driver and then moved to Renault. Uh, so maybe that is a good comp, that that team transition. Um, maybe I kind of tricked myself into believing that. Uh, but I do think Derek Carr is a good comp as well. Yeah, thinking this through, I think Ocon is one of the harder drivers as well to do this comparison with. But I do like the Derek Carr comparison. I especially like the point of both of these uh, athletes, I guess, in their respective sports being better than average, right? They're above average, you know, QB and above average driver in their sports. And most teams would rather have them over what they have on the team over someone else that they currently have. And I think that's where this comparison really works and makes most sense to me, along with, you know, the the limited success, shall we say, that they've experienced and then a little bit of pressure that they both have had on them. And I may have been a little bit harder on Ocon earlier, but it's similar to Carr. I think they both need to continue there are going to be doubters out there about both of these athletes and they just need to continue to perform. I'm not saying that Ocon needs to continue to be spectacular and same thing for Carr, but they just need to continue to put in solid performance. You know, Carr bring his team to the playoffs. Ocon continue to be in the points and every now and then make a run at a podium, I think is what's needed. Yeah. And I, I just want to hit on Noah's Tannehill comparison earlier. I think it's a pretty fair one. I'll never say this term seriously. It'll always be in sarcasm, but there was a time last year, not in the 2021 season, but the year before when Tannehill 
was fondly called by Titans fans, and I mean only Titans fans, Brian Tana Goat. And I think that you can say this, a similar thing about Alcon, at least after his race win. Uh, no, I don't think, I, I think Ryan Tannehill might be harsh to Alcon, maybe. I see where you're coming from, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm just interested to hear what uh, what people think about us putting Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill in the same comparison with Esteban Ocon, kind of kind of as the gateway between the two. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Be fun, be fun. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. If you disagree, let us know on Twitter. Let us know uh, in person if you're our friends. Whatever. Uh, we're eager to hear feedback. Well, I know we've all really enjoyed talking about Aston Martin today, AlphaTauri, and Alpine, and it's been really fun. And our next episode that we'll be doing, and we'll be reviewing McLaren and Ferrari, the best of the rest. So that should be an exciting episode, especially with some, some competitiveness going on between Noah really liking Ferrari and me being a massive McLaren fan. That should be fun. Vamos, good idea. <laughs> Team Papaya. But thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post it about on social media, leave a rating, review, connect with us on Twitter at F1 Wheel to Wheel. And thanks again. That's the checkered flag for today. We'll see you next time on the Wheel to Wheel F1 podcast. Mm-hmm.